Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. What do you mean? I'm in Paris. I can't go outside. It's raining. What a weak excuse of a president we got in Donald Trump. He can't go out in the rain because he's afraid his, uh, the orange dye on his hair will streak down his throat. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Oh, down his neck. Uh, great to see you today. It is a Monday, November 12. Here we go with another edition of the Bill Press Show and another week of, uh, you bet, it's going to be a big news week. Every every uh, day is, every week is in uh, Trump world. We certainly have learned that over the last two years. I uh, hope you uh, at least had a little chance to relax over the weekend and are ready to jump into this whole new week uh, with the president back from Paris, back at the White House. No public events scheduled today, uh, but we'll see how things develop. Good to have you with us as we join you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day. Whether it's happening here in Washington, in Paris, around the country, around the globe, uh, we'll tell you what's going on. And uh, you join us, please, and tell us what you think about it all with your comments on Twitter uh, at BP Show, and we'll be uh, taking a look at uh, the wildfires in California, devastating wildfires, uh, particularly two of them still out of control, uh, with now the death toll up to 3129 in Northern California, and two in Southern California, and 228 people still missing up in the area of Paradise in Butte County. And of course, Donald Trump mocking the whole thing and blaming it basically blaming it on the firefighters. Lots to talk about. We'll jump right to it again. Your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. But first... This is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, how'd you sleep yes. last night? Uh, I slept very well, thank oh, you. Oh, good. Well, yes. then you should have a uh, not very anxious day, if you believe this new survey uh, that ties sleep deprivation to anxiety. This new study says that people with anxiety disorders often have trouble sleeping. Now, it's generally been the conventional wisdom 
that it's your anxiety that's causing you your awake. bad sleep. Yeah. This study says, uh, this is uh, oh, at Harvard, Harvard Medical School in, uh, uh, in Boston, where they said that it actually could be the lack the of other sleep way around. that's huh. making us anxious. They say, quote, the sleep loss makes the anxiety worse, which in turn makes it harder to sleep. But either way, get a good night's sleep. Either way, do what you can to get a good night's sleep. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And and try and cut down on the anxiety at the same time. By the way, last time you flew, Bill, did you uh, did you have enough leg room? Did you have enough room to sit? Um, not not too bad. I I, I don't. You know, I usually get that economy plus. I'll pay for it, so sure. I don't have to sit in the in the most cramped seats. Well, yeah. this is what Chuck Schumer is taking on right now because he says the FAA isn't moving fast enough to roll out a plan from shrinking passenger seats. They are getting smaller and smaller. Oh yeah, and cramming no, more uh, seats absolutely. on the airplanes. Yesterday he spoke about or over the weekend. I should say he spoke about it. I have to take the magazines and other things out of the pouch in the seat in front of me. Because my knees bang into the seat, and I'm only six foot one. So he's saying that these airlines yes. should be doing more to comply with a law to establish minimum seat size standards for airplanes. Yeah, and they're not doing it. No, no, they're not. In fact, they are shrinking the the the, the size, and then they're charging more if you want normal size. Normal size, you have yeah. to pay extra. Yeah, but there there was a plan in place to sort of stop the shrinking of seats, stop the shrinking of size on airplanes, and they have not even put anything into place to try and combat that. So Chuck Schumer says that this is something he wants to take on. He's pushing them and saying, you know, this has been something that you agreed to do, and you're not doing it. Right. Meanwhile, I would say, Chuck Schumer, take the train. Amen. Uh, yeah, sure. He's going to, If he's going to New York, from New York, York to D.C., take the friggin' train. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, you know, you're like Joe Biden, take the train. That's he doesn't right. have to take it every night, but uh, you know, take the train. Absolutely. Yeah. There's always there's lots. Let me tell you, lots of leg room on the train. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, they believe something really old-fashioned in Florida. Count every vote. And that's what they're doing. Donald Trump doesn't like it, neither does Rick Scott. Well, tough. Count every vote, and every vote counts. That's got to be the uh, basic, uh, you know, kind of the foundation of democracy, isn't it? Uh, At least for members of one party in Florida. What do you say, everybody? Great to see you. Hello, hello, hello. It is a Monday, Monday, November 12th. The Bill Press Show here coming to you from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and more particularly from uh, our little uh, studio here on Capitol Hill, uh, just down the street from the United States Capitol building in the Eastern Market section of Washington, uh, and booming out to you all across this great land of ours and around the globe online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, on Free Speech TV, coast to coast, and uh, on the radio. Statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks and in the greater Chicago area, city of Chicago and all thereabouts. Here we are on WCPT, the big progressive voice of Chicago. Lots and lots going on. Good to have you with us. We've got a great lineup of guests today. Brittany Shepard joins us from the Washingtonian, uh, covers politics for the Washingtonian magazine. Jordan Fabian, uh, one of our good friends, covers the White House for The Hill. 
uh, with uh, lots of White House news today. Uh, Jordan Fabian kicking off the week for us. And then Kevin Robiar from HuffPost, senior political reporter for HuffPost, taking a look at a lot of excitement still lingering over the midterms uh, tomorrow, one week from the midterms. And there are still just short of a dozen House races that haven't been decided, uh, two or three Senate races that still haven't been uh, decided at least and two at least two governor's races we know of uh, that haven't been decided uh, and uh, we are still so sorting out exactly exactly how big a win it was for Democrats it definitely was a big win a definitely a blue wave overall uh, by the time you count house seats Senate seats governor's races state legislative races uh, across the board. Yeah. Uh, so let's start out in Paris. Uh, boy, what a disastrous trip for Donald Trump in every which way. Um, I mean, first of all, he goes over there. We know what happened. So Saturday, he's scheduled to go out. And what the first day that with all the world leaders there who were, this was the, the 100th anniversary of the end of World War One. Um Still, the worst war of all, with more people killed and um, and brutally and use of poison gas and the stories of World War One are just unbelievable. Uh, the loss of life uh, and every the world leaders, all of who were involved in there, leading of, leaders of the countries who were involved in World War One, assembled in Paris. And the first day, the idea was that each of them would go out to a cemetery where the soldiers of their countries uh, had particularly had fought and died, uh, but battles that were particularly related to certain countries where particular victory or appear, uh, uh, important battle for the French or for the Germans or for the British or for the Americans. And of course, and each leader went to that particular cemetery uh, and they all did so. Except for Donald Trump, because it was raining, so Donald Trump stayed home. And they say, well, because he couldn't fly in Marine One, the Secret Service, they blame it on the Secret Service and said the Secret Service, because it was raining, Marine One doesn't fly in the rain or in the fog, so therefore he had to stay in his hotel room or stay in his at the uh, embassy, watching TV, I guess, or making phone calls. Uh, strange, every other world leader went. And guess how they got there? They drove. They do have cars in France. They did have the beast in France. They fly it over there. Uh, there was no excuse whatsoever. So no that, excuse. By the way, it was 50 miles away. So right. an hour, maybe a little over an hour in the car. Somebody BFD. Did, somebody looked at Google Maps. Somebody on Twitter looked yeah. at Google Maps. So to drive uh, from door to door would take a little over an hour in regular traffic, by the way. Mm -hmm. This is not a presidential motorcade. So right. a presidential and motorcade, you, a you presidential get there a lot motorcade, There ain't nobody else on the road. Exactly. So right. yeah, an hour, maybe even a little less with a presidential right. motorcade. Wouldn't go. Wouldn't go. And like, why bring the, the limo if you're not going to use it? But also, why fly 3,800 miles to right. Paris, right, to sit in the French embassy? No, it was, it was, it really showed, uh, I, I think, it, it just um, doesn't care, right? A total disinterest and total lack of 
whatever, I mean, understanding of what was going on, the significance of the event, and doesn't give a rat's ass about uh, our Americans who lost their lives uh, on the fields of France uh, for in, in World War I. So then the, that was bad enough. Then the next day, the world leaders were going to meet at the Arc de Triomphe, uh, and they were going to walk there down the Champs-Élysées in a great show of solidarity. It was raining again. Didn't deter most of the world leaders. They all did. They marched down the Champs-Élysées. It was a, a magnificent photo of Emmanuel Macron right alongside of Angela Merkel and boom, 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 all the rest. Uh, and they all walked to the Arc of Triumph holding their umbrellas in the rain, uh, at which point then, once they were all there, Donald Trump arrives, separate entrance, kept very, very dry, in, his, in the beast with a big umbrella over his head, would not join the others. He had to come in, stay dry, and make a separate. And by the way, the only other person who did that was Vladimir Putin. And of course, they greeted each other warmly as soon as they saw each other there, Putin giving Trump, uh, Trump a big thumbs up. Uh, and then at the Arc de Triomphe, Emmanuel Macron gives a speech blasting, without naming him, blasting Donald Trump and the whole concept that Donald Trump is selling of nationalism. Because, you know, two things wrong with that. One, uh, and look, we all love our country. So, I mean, don't get into this back and forth about, well, we all have to be nationalists. No. What nationalist means is you love your country, but you don't give a rat's ass again about anybody else. It's my country, all or nothing, and, and, and that we don't have to cooperate with anybody. Typical Donald Trumpism. We have to cooperate with anybody on climate change or trade deals. I mean, it's all about America, all America. And, and any other um, nuclear, nuclear arms deals that we got with Russia, trade deals we got with Canada, nuclear deal we've got with, with all these other countries and Iran. No, it doesn't matter because it's just the United States. That's the only thing we care about. That's Donald Trump's very narrow definition of nationalism, which also, of course, has echoes of white nationalism, which, uh, which David, even David Duke has praised Donald Trump for calling himself a nationalist because with Donald, David Duke and a lot of others, that means white nationalists, and you know what that means. At any rate, Emmanuel Macron really took on this whole concept of nationalism in very, very strong terms, saying, don't tell me you're a, patri you're a patriot if you're a nationalist. You are, it's, nationalism is just the opposite of patriotism. Here, through a translator, President Macron. Patriotism is the exact opposite of nationalism. Nationalism is a betrayal of patriotism by saying, our interests first, who cares about the others? Yeah. Our, uh, us first, who cares about the others? That's exactly what Donald Trump's brand of nationalism is. So with all of that, a um, pretty bad weekend for Donald Trump in Paris. Uh, you know, on the back on the rain thing, I saw that somebody said, uh, let's say Donald Trump um, applied for a job with the uh, Postal Service. He wanted to be, you know, it's after the White House, he wanted to just deliver the mail. Okay, raise your right hand and swear you in. Neither rain nor snow. No, oh, stop right oh, there. Stop, stop right there. Yep, I can't do it. Can't do the job. Uh-uh. Yeah. And as John Kerry, John Kerry put out a very powerful statement in response saying, yeah, those soldiers who were in the trenches in World War I, yeah, they fought through the rain, through the snow, through the fog, 
through all through the mud, through all the conditions, Mr. President. How dare you not go out and get wet? Again, I, I think it's because he was afraid the orange dye on his hair would just, you know, drip down his neck, down his face. And... I will say I was thoroughly entertained by all of the many, many pictures of Barack Obama in the rain. Yes. George W. Bush yeah. in the rain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Bill Clinton in the rain. Just, you know, out there doing what you have to do because you're the leader of the, the country. They didn't have the orange hair. They didn't have the orange hair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so since that wasn't bad enough for the weekend for Donald Trump, then, of course, in response to the California wildfires, uh, what did Donald Trump do? Did he express empathy for the uh, victims of the fires and say, we'll do whatever we can to help out out there? Uh, the fires, by, by the way, particularly the campfire in Northern California, 29 dead so far, 228 people still unaccounted for in the area of their Butte County, uh, just uh, outside of Sacramento, west of Sacramento, uh, northwest of Sacramento. Um, and in the big Woolsey fire down in Malibu, two people have died and hundreds and hundreds of homes destroyed, including, I learned earlier this morning, a home of uh, my good friend, former Congressman David Dreyer, lived, living in Malibu, beautiful home, destroyed. Uh, did Donald Trump reach out to them, reach out to the firefighters and say, great job, or what can we do? What, how can we help? What can we do? You know, we'll, we'll send whatever help we can. No. He did another nasty tweet. Remember the last wildfires in August, he blamed the people of California for wasting so much water and letting it rush out to the sea, like through the Golden Gate Bridge, for example, instead of capturing that water and using it to fight the fires with total idiot. Total, total, just doesn't understand. Childish. Geography. Just a a childish brain. So this time, basically the same. He tweeted out saying, quote, there is no reason for these massive, deadly, and costly forest fires in California. They're not forest fires to begin with. Uh, Except that forest management is so poor. Billions of dollars, he says, are given each year with so many lives lost all because of gross mismanagement of the forest remedy now or no more federal payments. So he not only attacks California, attacks the firefighters, attacks the forestry people in California, but threatens to send no more federal money to California if there are any more wildfires. Thanks a lot, Donald. Yeah, not only cold-hearted as you can be. 29, do you see the pictures of those cars and the people who who burned to death in their cars or they were fleeing the fire. And that's that's the response you get from the president of the United States. No wonder the firefighters were so pissed off, the law enforcement people in California so pissed off, uh, and the governor and the lieutenant governor of California so pissed off. Jerry Brown yesterday saying, yeah, we deal with forest, but, but I, I can't emphasize that again. I know Malibu very, very well. This was These were grass fires. They've happened before. They've happened again. This is not a forest fire. Uh, Jerry Brown saying, yeah, forest management is important, but it's only one aspect of this whole thing. Forest management is one element. It's only one. And uh, we have to take care of the whole range of threats and conditions and actions that are part of our living with fire, living with fire threats. And uh, the governor has said, as he said before, 
Uh, these are bad. These are incredibly dangerous fires and, and, and destructive fires. But we're going to, as Jerry says, we're going to see more of them. This is the this is not the new normal. This is not the new normal. This is the new abnormal. And this new abnormal uh, will continue, certainly in the next 10 to 15 to 20 years. And again, these fires fed by very, very dry, tinder-dry grasses as a result of very little rainfall in Southern California, all a result of, Jerry Brown points out again, climate change. Managing all the forests in every way we can does not stop climate change. So uh, those are just two of the things, uh, the, 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 the disastrous performance in Paris. Uh, his attacks on uh, California with the forest fires. Uh, oh, and by the way, um, just just by the way, uh, the Wall Street Journal also reported on Friday, which got totally lost over the weekend, that uh, Donald Trump, then candidate Trump, was actively, personally, very, very involved in arranging the hush payments both to Stormy Daniels and to Karen McDougal, 130,000 to Stormy Daniels and 150,000 to Karen McDougal. And remember again, Donald Trump denied knowing anything about payments to either one of them. Uh, and we know that that's not true because Michael Cohen said he had actually discussed those with the president. And we heard that one tape a couple of months ago where they did have that conversation. But now the Wall Street Journal further reporting uh, that Donald Trump uh, remember, the Karen McDougal story had been buried by the um, National Enquirer. Uh, David Pecker, the publisher of the National Enquirer, uh, had arranged that. And uh, the Washington, the Wall Street Journal reporting again that the president met with David Pecker several times, then candidate Trump, several times. And I believe later, even in the White House, conversations with David Pecker. But at any rate... He, it wasn't all through Michael Cohen. Donald Trump himself was personally involved in arranging these payments. Now, just, just stop for just a second, okay? This is the president of the United States. This is the nation's number one conservative newspaper that reports that the president of the United States actively involved, personally arranging hush money payments to two women not to talk about affairs that he had with them when he was married to Melania. And that story just disappeared. Could you imagine how many months we would go through of hearings and outrage if that had happened, if any Democratic president, anybody other than Donald Trump, actually, any, I think any other Republican president. We've just sort of accepted that's who Donald Trump is. Yeah. You know? I think that's absolutely right. Which, which is, as he might say. Sad. It is sad. I mean, it yeah. bums me out to think that we've gotten to that point. Like, I, there's zero outrage. There's zero shock. There's zero surprise over a story like this. Like, none. Were you surprised at all by this? No. Yeah, no, neither was I. No, no. I, I don't want to say. I, I don't want to say who cares because I mean, I think it's worth caring about. But like, I was surprised. Here's, I was surprised at coming from the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. You know, m more like the New York Times or the Washington Post, people might have just said discounted it as being the anti-Trumpers, right? But coming from the Wall Street Journal, um, I thought it might get a little more attention.
Uh, it didn't. Uh, and as if that's not bad enough for Donald Trump over the weekend, um, he also uh, stepped in it again before he left for Paris on his way to Marine One, standing on the south lawn of the White House. And this on top of, remember, uh, at the news conference that he held Wednesday, pardon me, telling April Ryan from Urban Radio Network to sit down and shut up, wouldn't call on her, really rudely telling her, sit down, sit down, sit down, not going to call on you, sit down, sit down. Uh, and then when Yamish Alcindor from uh, PBS asked a question about nationalism, which we talked about a little earlier, uh, and Donald Trump calling her, saying that was a racist question, uh, which it's not, uh, on top of that, insulting and attacking two African-American women reporters. Uh, he's walking, He's uh, going out to Marine One. He comes over to talk to reporters. Among the reporters, Abby Phillips is there from CNN. Damn good reporter. And, of course, Jim Acosta is not there. Why? Because they yanked his press pass. Abby, who fills in a lot for Jim, uh, was there. And she asked um, the question that was basically on everybody's mind in Washington is, did you get Whitaker in that position so he can rein in Robert Mueller's investigation? Everybody's asking that question, right? Because it was so obvious that Whitaker is a big critic, has been publicly, about Robert Mueller. So why was he there? Why didn't he just leave Rod Rosenstein in charge of the investigation? Abby asked that question. Here's the president's response. What a stupid question that is. What a stupid question. But I watch you a lot. You ask a lot of stupid questions. Whoa. Yeah. You know, <laughs> this guy has a problem with women in general and with African-American women especially. Boy, and you cannot deny it. That's three African-American reporters that he has publicly attacked in two days. You can't avoid that. You just can't avoid that. I mean, it's it, it, it's so clear. It's so right in front of us, right? Yeah. And the other thing is, and you add that to right, Maxine Waters, sure, to the congresswoman, blank on her name from Florida, right? Uh, to Omarosa, you get down the list. Yeah. Right? No, he has a real problem. And and look, like saying that to somebody's face is. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to try and not act shocked that the president is rude. Right. But, like, it's just so disrespectful. Rude and, and racist. It's, it's, it is. It's racist. It completely. Completely. Yeah, I mean, clearly. You can't deny it, right? right. Low IQ, Maxine, stupid questions, uh, things that, you know, it's it's very Calling clear. Calling a dog? Yeah, right? it's yeah. clear. Yeah. And by the way, again, not a stupid question. Mr. President, I mean, uh, everybody's asking the question, why Matt Whitaker? That's the most legitimate question in D.C. right now. As I said, you know, he could have appointed the janitor. I mean, he has as much standing as Matt Whitaker. Uh, he's just a staffer, not confirmed by the Senate. Uh, so uh, all in all, um, overall, a bad, bad weekend for um, for Donald Trump. And by the way, more and more questions raised about um, Matt Whitaker on several levels, uh, and and there's so many so many things wrong with his appointment. Uh, Jerry Nadler, the incoming chair of the uh, Senate uh, of the House Judiciary Committee, 
has pointed out that um, one of the first he, – he has said that when they start holding hearings, Matt Whitaker is going to be the first witness because they're going to want to know uh, what his plans are on the job. And at several levels, as we talked about, one is, of course, that as a commentator and on CNN and uh, writing op-ed pieces, uh, that he has repeatedly said he thinks the Mueller investigation is unnecessary. It is a witch hunt. It is a giant fishing expedition. He's called out all of that, uh, that the attorney general uh, could either limit it or cut off the funding or fire Mueller altogether. That's his expressed opinion. Again, legitimate question. So why was he put over the Mueller investigation? Then there's also the fact that in his uh, uh, writings already, uh, he has uh, opined that the Supreme Court is way out of line, has too much power, is the, should, is, should be considered the unequal branch of government or the inferior branch of government, uh, and that the Marbury versus Madison decision by the great John Marshall, on which the entire purpose of the Supreme Court is really built, that they do have the power to determine the constitutionality of laws passed by the Congress. According to Matt Whitaker, that whole thing is bogus, and it was a bad decision, and the Supreme Court should not have that power. Which is really kind of strange, because Republicans always go to the Supreme Court to over get the Supreme Court to overturn things that Democrats do, like the Dreamers, for example. They're there right now trying to get the Supreme Court to overthrow something President Obama did. So it goes both ways. Matt Whitaker may not realize that. Then there's also the issue of this company in Florida that Matt Whitaker uh, was on the board of that's been fined by the FTC and shut down by the FCC for bilking Thousands of consumers, especially a lot of veterans, out of millions and millions of dollars, uh, and Matt Whitaker associated with that company, all of those, as if those things were not bad enough, then there is the little matter of the Constitution of the United States, which constitutional scholars, including George Conway, the husband of that, yeah, that one, Kellyanne Conway, the president's top advisor, uh, where George Conway says that that the Constitution clearly states whoever serves as Attorney General of the United States or acting Attorney General must be confirmed by the Senate. So therefore, Mr. Whitaker's appointment is illegal, it is unconstitutional, and George Conway writes in the New York Times that, and this is important, that everything that Matt Whitaker does in that position while holding that job is therefore illegal and doesn't doesn't really have any any impact at all everything he does every decision he makes so um, we're going to hear more from Matt, Matt Whitaker and the president <laughs> having first bragged about what a great guy he is and what a great reputation he has uh, again on the south lawn before leaving and boarding Marine One to go for his flight to Paris uh, the president said I don't really know Matt Whitaker Remember, he said that about so many people, right? I don't really know Steve Bannon. I don't really know Steve Bannon. Or, uh, I don't, right? I, I, it would be fun to make a list of the people that he's denied knowing. People who are really, like, in his inner circle. Somebody the, also found a clip from him, I, I think it was October of last year or something like that, and 
he was on Fox and Friends, and he says, "Look, I know Matt Whitaker. He's a good guy." Blah 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 blah. Right? Yeah. So like no, he did on on Fox and Friends. Yeah. He was saying about how how well he knew him, and yeah. in fact, people have shown that he had he's had several meetings in the Oval Office with Matt Whitaker. And reportedly, in every one of those meetings, when the question of Robert Mueller comes up, uh, Matt Whitaker is just saying, yes, boss, yes, you're right, yes, you're boss, yeah, we That's got to That's what Trump him. wants. Exactly. That's all right. he wants. And if, there's only one reason he's there, an attack dog, attack dog for Robert Mueller. All right, all of that going on, and we still didn't get to yet what's the latest with all the midterms, uh, and uh, there's still still a lot, lot of races uh, that have not yet been decided, and it's looking more and more like a blue wave for Democrats. Brittany Shepard's going to take us through that, joining us from the Washingtonian Magazine coming up next year. On the Bill Press Show, Monday, November 12th, quick break. We'll be right back. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. And here we are, Monday, November 12th, The Bill Press Show. We start out in Washington, D.C. We end up wherever you are in this great land of ours, right alongside of you online, on the radio, and on television. Great to see you today. And we're brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters. Yes, we salute the brave firefighters of California. We don't dump on them like Donald Trump. They're doing a great, great heroic job putting their lives on the line, as they do every day all around the country, but particularly their response and their hard work and nonstop work on the, to, to get on top of these fires is uh, incredibly impressive and, uh, um, you know, not unusual. That's what they do, Mr. President, uh, and you should appreciate them and thank them rather than dump on them. Check out their website at IAFF.org. And we welcome to the program Brittany Shepard, uh, who is a political writer for the great Washingtonian magazine. Hi, Brittany. Nice Hi. to see you. Nice to see you. Good morning. Before we jump into some of these midterms, we've been uh, talking about some of the news of the day, uh, generating some comments from our viewers and listeners, which yes, we indeed. love. Yes, indeed. We are on Twitter, at BP Show, <laughs> at BP Show, where you can chime in. Uh, KG says about Donald Trump not going out in the rain, it's all about the hair. He can't face wind and rain without his MAGA hat, which is a good point. When you go watch him play golf, he's always got that hat on. Maybe it's the hair. He didn't want to get the well, hair. Well, put spread. the hat on. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. By the way, they have umbrellas in France. <laughs> As we said, they have. He had his presidential limousine there. He could yeah. have been driven there. Uh, Holly weighs in, says, "So it appears that this is the Republican Trumpist motto: Me and mine matter. Screw everybody else." Uh, we That's what about, he means by nationalism. Yeah, exactly. We talked about the uh, National <laughs> Enquirer and David Pecker, Phil, stating the obvious. David Pecker. <laughs> Still makes me chuckle because I'm 10 years old. Yeah, I, I actually agree with that. I still laugh when I hear David Pecker. So do I. We all do. And right. we, we had another comment about Abby Phillips' question uh, saying, of course it was a stupid question because it is clear he appointed him <laughs> purely to fire Robert Mueller. Uh, we appreciate your comments at B, on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Keep them coming. Yes, indeed. All right, indeed. Uh, so, Brittany, um, it's almost a week, but the midterms aren't over yet, huh? Yeah, it, it feels like the news cycle that's never going to end. Right. Uh, well, like many other news cycles around <laughs> here, right? All right, of so course. let's just back up. So um, everything was up. Everything was up. 
uh, for grabs. And so when when the dust cleared, so far, the Democrats it looked like well they certainly will gain control of the House, mm-hmm. regain control of the House, anywhere from thirty five to forty seats, um, maybe as high as forty. They won seven governorship, flipped seven governorships. Very important too. They flipped seven house uh, state legislative chambers. Right. They won the last count I saw three hundred and seventy-two state legislative seats that went. They won more, but I mean flipped from red to blue, three hundred seventy-two. In the Senate, uh, with a very very bad map against them, it looks like they're going to end up. Not winning, but Republicans holding 51 or 52, which is just about what it is now. Yes. Uh, And at the same time, 12 million more people voted for Democrats in the Senate races than Republicans. So if there were such a thing as a popular vote for the Senate, Democrats won that too. When you add all of that up, that's a blue wave, isn't it? Well— I'm hesitant for any more water analogies, but <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, we were. I would say it, it's more a blue wave than it was last week. Comparatively, you know, on Wednesday morning we it were all saying it wasn't a tsunami, right? But, yeah, I, you know, it but, wasn't a Noah level flood, but it, I mean, it showed that there is definitely democratic power, democratic energy coming through elections on every single level, and big democratic wins, absolutely. Right. And even the losses were still wins for Beto. Of course, he didn't win, but the energy around him and his campaign, I think, can carry through for all of those presidential candidates happening in less than a year. Right. Um, remarkable of, in some states particularly, uh, the idea that, um, for me, uh, Wisconsin, Yeah. You know, Scott Walker, that's a big, big win just to get Scott Walker out of there, right? Well, yeah. Even at home, too. We have big races in Virginia that energized a lot of people that we didn't think, you know, um, that was going to happen in Virginia 10. Picked up three seats in Virginia. Right. Flipped three seats in Virginia. Kansas, getting a Democratic governor of Kansas and a congressional seat in Kansas. It's huge. Huge. Nevada won the Senate seat, won the governor's race, and won the, and got the state legislature back. Right. It's so Nevada is basically another blue state. Mm-hmm. It was, which will be very key again in the presidential. And then we might have an Arizona race yeah. and another pickup in Florida. Yeah, well, let's start. So let's move from Nevada to Arizona. Arizona now, I, I think you almost have to say done, right? I mean, Kirsten Cinema t- today is 32,640 votes ahead of Martha McSally. Um, I can't and, see a race now, where she's not going to win. Right. And, 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 Votes are coming in from Maricopa County, which is Phoenix, Mm -hmm. particularly Democratic. uh, And it's been growing every day. Her lead has been growing every day. And she went from being behind to pulling ahead by 32. So the idea that Martha McSally is suddenly going to find a trove of votes somewhere. It would have to be an 11th hour miracle to have McSally come and deceit cinema at this point. What I think has been uh, significant is that Several leading Republicans have said, well, there's been, there were some Republicans who said to Martha McSally, you got to go out and call fraud. You got to go out and accuse him of fraud. And other Republicans said, hey, she's losing fair and square. Forget it. You know, doesn't do us any good. It's always like Rick Scott's done. We'll get to that in a second. Rick Scott and, and Ron DeSantis are doing. So it doesn't do us any good. Just take your consequences, right? Man up, basically. Right. 
Yeah. To be the to be the candidate who cries fraud and then you know found to be lying is not a place you want to be after the midterm elections. At least, especially if you're not a if excuse me, especially if you're a Republican. But you know, to again to get so yes, we lost Indiana. Democrats, we I'm a Democrat. Lost Indiana, lost North Dakota, and lost Missouri. But uh, and that's too bad. But picking up Nevada and Arizona almost makes up for that, right? It's, but, I mean, if you're a Democrat, absolutely. One more would one more would do it, and right. that, and that could be in Florida. Yes, it can. Where Bill Nelson surprised everybody by getting more votes than uh, Andrew Gillum, mm-hmm. uh, and that was the first one that that uh, triggered a recount in Florida. Now there are three: recount for Senate, recount for governor, and recount for agricultural commissioner <laughs> of all things. The very Florida. key race of agricultural commissioner. Yeah. By the way, can, can we just back up and say, damn it, Florida, get your act together, right? <laughs> They're never going to be normal. It's just going to be the they, same yeah. cycle over and over Can't they over just over get again. one ballot that everybody can uh, that, you know, easily vote and understand? I mean, apparently in Broward County, you couldn't find the U.S. Senate race, and mm. a lot of people voted for governor and didn't vote for U.S. Senate. Well, yeah. They call them undervotes, right? That right. there's just a blank for the Senate, and where they they couldn't find it. Well, yeah, and uh, that's it's like a the old butterfly the ballot in 2000. Well, know? yeah, it's just like you you can't. First of all, Florida can never win. Period. So especially when it comes to voting, but it's this uh, voting confusion and uh, you know voter disenfranch- disenfranchisement around the country that's been a problem for so many people and so many very yeah, important but districts. Florida, here yeah. we go again. Yeah, we too many chads in Florida. Right. But um, but uh, so Andrew Gillum, who did concede, uh, has certainly come back, and he said yesterday that uh, um, that you know you've got to you got to continue this process mm-hmm. until every vote is counted. Here he is, uh, Mayor Gillum. We don't just get the opportunity to stop uh, counting votes because we don't like the direction in which the vote tally is heading. Uh, that is not democratic, and that certainly is not the American way. Right. Uh, and the mayor pointed out what the Republicans are trying to do is stop the vote like right now, mm-hmm. even though there are votes cast legally that haven't yet been counted. The governor has filed another lawsuit to try to keep the votes that were counted in Broward County just yesterday from being added to the total tally. These are legal votes. Yeah, legal votes. Uh, so Donald Trump and Rick Scott and Ron DeSantis are all claiming that they're just basically inventing votes right or mm-hmm. or making them up somehow and throwing them in there again allegations of fraud with zero evidence to 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 back it up uh i thought that uh, senator nelson pointed out very clearly uh what's what 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 it is and what it isn't votes are not being found they're being counted yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah and you know it's a basic principle every vote counts Count every vote. Yes. And every vote counts. Of course. And as long as it takes, they're just going to have to sit it out, wait it out. Yeah. And it, it, there, it's, an, it's not an overnight process to count these votes. No. You know, and the Supreme Court intervened in 2000, as we remember, because mm. they said uh, that the country just couldn't go on so long without knowing who the legitimate president was. I'm still the worst decision, I believe, the second worst decision of the Supreme Court. Um, we could have waited until Al Gore was certified as president of the United States. But in this case, we can certainly wait to find out who the next governor is going to be, who the next ag commissioner is going to be, and right. who the 
next United States Senate is going to be. So they're just going to have to take the time to the election officials sure. to a point where they can certify an election. And they're still, they are still finding, I've read this morning, there are some votes, a pile of votes that were put in a warehouse somewhere mm. on election night, never got to election headquarters. I don't know where they're from or, or who they're going to help, but they got to be counted. Yeah, there must be an easier process for voting because this stuff can't keep happening again and again and again. Other states get it right. I mean, yeah, I, I, we haven't had these problems in 49 other states. Maybe we are, I don't know what we can do about Florida. But. I mean, something should be said about the voter suppression and things like that in other states as well, right? Yeah. This is mm-hmm. yeah. certainly a case in Florida. It certainly was the case in Georgia with Stacey Abrams' race, which she continues to fight. Yeah. Uh, it's certainly the case around the country. Yeah. You know, I think that there's something to be said about the fact that Republicans now recognize that uh, in a lot of ways they have lost the battle of ideas. And the only way that they can hold on to power is by putting this stranglehold on the election process and the voting process. Or an, a level playing field doesn't work for them. Right? No, clearly yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. So then we get to Georgia, which is still ongoing as yes. well, right? Yeah. Stacey Abrams. Uh, filing a lawsuit to make sure that every vote is counted uh, in Georgia. The um, Brian Kemp is now ahead by less than 59,000 votes. Uh, and it was well over 100 when it started. Mm-hmm. And so there are more, there are more votes coming in. And um, uh, that margin is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. I could only, I could only guess. Right. So that would lead to a runoff, right? Yes, automatic if, recount. If they, if I guess, the nobody, if nobody gets more than fifty point one percent, goes automatically to a runoff. Right. right. Yeah, and it's going in that direction. Absolutely. So she doesn't have to get more votes than he does. He, she has to get him below that threshold. It's un, un, We're not talking about a recount here. We're talking about a runoff. Right. Yes. Sorry. Which is which is different. And runoff was it's, it's one month. And it'll be off to the races. Mm. It's yeah. just a waiting out the clock moment. And could very well happen. Yeah, the way it's going. And again, this is, a, you know, I, I just talked about the disenfranchisement, right? Like, well, we had that right. story. There was a story last week about how the scores of voting machines were kept locked up in Georgia on Election Day, right? Like, that, that's horrible. And again, the 53,000 people that he disenf- would, would not certify um, yeah. before mm-hmm. the election, plus reducing the number of polling places. Brian Kemp did everything he could before he resigned as Secretary of State to um, to, to, to depress the vote uh, in Georgia, no doubt about it. So we got Florida still underway, Georgia still underway, and now and a runoff in Mississippi mm-hmm. where there were four people in the in the in the in the primary, or not in the primary in the in the general. The top two now, who is the sitting senator, Cindy Hyde Smith, a Republican up versus Mike Espy, who is, um, I think it was Ag Secretary under Bill Clinton. He was in the Clinton administration uh, at any rate. Uh, and, and that runoff, it's, um, I mean, we're talking Mississippi here. Um, I wouldn't say great chances for Mike Espy, no. but still, it, it is a runoff and got off to a pretty ugly start uh, over the weekend when Cindy Hyde-Smith, uh, the senator, Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith, um, spoke to some group, and she said, I'm so 
uh, excited that you invited me to speak to you. You know, I just love you. I'll come anywhere you want. She said, if you had, if you uh, organized a public hanging, I'd be sitting in the front row. Mm, not the best choice of words from a Republican from Mississippi. Against an African-American Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Not not a good day for African-American it, rhetoric at all. It um, sort of brought back to me um, Ron DeSantis' comment about the day after he w- became the Republican nominee for governor in Florida, mm-hmm. saying um, uh, up against African-American Andrew Gillum, we can't monkey this race up. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, well, I mean, so. Andrew Gillum's one of his responses were pretty clear. He's not racist, think that. DeSantis is racist. Yeah. He didn't call him a racist. He just says that racist. Think, yeah, think he's th- racist. Think he's a racist. So there's still a lot uh, on the line here. Oh, right? absolutely. A lot of very crucial races where, you know, Democrats can get a stronghold. Really upset. 1600 Pennsylvania. I'll tell you that. Uh, so, um, in fact, there are some, I think, 11 congressional seats that are still open. Uh, one that has been decided, I think, since the last time we talked is Dana Rohrbacher, uh, is out in California County. I can't tell you how significant that is. I mean, mm-hmm. because he's he is the most he was has been for I think he's been thirty years in Congress, fifteen terms I believe already. Wow. Uh, he's been the most conservative member of Congress from the most conservative district in California, if not in the entire country. I mean, this is John Wayne country, Dana mm-hmm. Rohrbacher's territory. Right. John Wayne Old country, and he is done. And Harvey Ruda will be the new congressman from there. And then there's another one that's um, that looks like it's going to flip as well. Uh, Jeff Denham, a Republican in California from Stanislaus County. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, Central Valley, where you have you have to be a really conservative blue dog Democrat to win there. Uh, but there are a lot of Republicans. That's where the Republicans have, have a stronghold, too. Sure. And Jeff Denham was one of those Republicans, California 10. Uh, uh, election night, it looked like he won. Now it's flipped. The vote the st- votes are still being counted. Mm-hmm. Josh Harder's a Democrat. Looks like he's going to pick up that seat as well. So that could get up to, again, could get as high as 40 uh, in, the, uh, in the House for de- Democrats flipping, which is a big night. Yeah, and very significant when investigate. you know, if Dems have the very strong control of the House, there's going to be lots of investigations going on into December and January. We played just uh, before the break here uh, a little bit. Uh, Donald Trump uh, on his way out to uh, Andrews Air Force Base to catch uh, Air Force One to Paris, mm-hmm. um, gets goes over, talks to reporters, gets questions from reporters, including this question from Abby Phillips of CNN about Mark Whitaker's job. Matt, Mark, Matt Whitaker. Matt Whitaker. Matt, Matt Whitaker's job. Uh, and is he was he put there to put the brakes on Robert Mueller? Here, here's that little exchange. Do you want him to rein in Robert Mueller? What a stupid question that is. What a stupid question. But I watch you a lot. You ask a lot of stupid questions. Uh, how did that strike you? Uh, well, I I was very angry <laughs> when I heard that. Not only is it not a stupid question, it's one of the smartest questions that you need to be asking right now. But a question that everybody is asking. Yeah, right now that everyone should be asking, everyone ought to be asking, everyone is asking. Um, but Abby is a phenomenal phenomenal reporter. I know her professionally as a member of the White House press corps and. 
it, it's tough to see another black woman be beat up on. You know, it was a tough week for us in the press corps. You have Mish and April and now Abby. It, you know, you think there aren't a lot of us. So like, it's, <laughs> who's next is the question. You know, thankfully, I haven't really been in the direct line of fire of the president. But I'm curious, you know. It's only a matter of time. Right. Brittany. Yeah, right. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know what my nickname <laughs> would be or what he would even say. Yeah, but this is this is three African American women in two days. April Ryan, you know, Yemi Shalsendor mm-hmm. uh, from PBS, those two at the news conference and yes. a- even April before. And and since then what he said he actually in that same little exchange there he actually came back and said something about April Ryan was not there. Right, no, she was But he wasn't. went out of his way to attack her and say she was a bad reporter, didn't yeah. know what she was doing or something like Someone that. Someone asked a question about Jim when it went oh, right. out of the doghouse, yeah. essentially, and you know he went off about how he didn't like Jim, and then there was a follow-up. And you know who I also don't like? April. He was kind of just riffing. He was just thinking. He was just very angry, and he said some pretty nasty things about April, how she's not very smart, and how she's very nasty to Sarah Huckabee Sanders, and you know April wasn't even there to defend herself. It right. was quite, it was shocking. You know, many things don't shock me in this presidency, but but that definitely did. What does it say about Donald Trump? That he has definitely a tough relationship with women, especially black women, is what is how I see it. Obviously, my perspective uh, is a bit colored, uh, for lack of a better word. <laughs> 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 but it's obvious to me that something that makes him uncomfortable, you know, you know, a hit dog hollers, you know, so something about him uh, is is insecure around these people. And all these people happen to have one thing in common. Yeah. And when you add to that, as we were talking earlier, Maxine Waters, low IQ Maxine. Right. right? And then, then Amorosa. Uh, yeah. Calling her a dog. And they were even friends. You know, there are so many things in how he's hit back on people who have flipped on him. Look at Michael Cohen. He's never once called Michael Cohen a dog publicly, I believe. Right. So uh, that yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And then he he said at that same exchange mm. uh, when he was asked about uh, Jim Acosta, you know, doesn't like him, bum bum bum. Um, not sure we're ever going to re- restore his hard pass. And by the way, he said there may be some other reporters who lose their hard pass. Yeah, which is a very scary thing. <laughs> that uh, so our, our our hard pass is essentially our security access to the place. So once you do that, we can't even get like in front of the first gate for access. We're completely shut off. Uh, we would have to relegate all of our coverage to our bureaus or just online. And it, it is a precedent that I mean, there is completely unprecedented. So for him to start yanking hard passes, you wonder like where that leads to next. And what is it going to be based on? Yeah. Well, you said you have to show respect for the presidency. Mm-hmm. Which is so arbitrary, and you know, getting into a fight with Sarah Sanders behind the podium is one thing, you know, and despite you know, being a threat to the press corps is something else. Like I can see someone having their hard pass yanked because they're not safe to be on grounds, but I've never seen any reporter uh, show that attitude or behavior in the last two years that I've been there. Uh, and 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 these people he's he's gone after, the worst that they've done is ask a tough question. Exactly. <laughs> Or just be a really dogged reporter. You know, he hasn't liked April for a very long time. You know, he's gone on record and Sarah's gone on record saying that, you know, she's kind of on their, uh, you know, blacklist again, (laughs) for lack of a better term. And all she does is just show up and be persistent and consistent. And they can't handle that. That's why there's not that many briefings anymore. 
They just can't handle the heat. Right. Um, so what should the press corps do about this? That is a tough question and something I've been asking myself and my colleagues for a long time. A lot of people are saying we should do a walkout. I don't know if that's the answer. The thing that we can do in a very small way is call things for what they are. If the president and his press team are spreading a doctored video, we have to say it's doctored. Yeah. We have to call him out for lying, yeah. you know, and then we start there. And by the way, it is a doctored yeah, video. Yeah, of course, yeah. And, it, and, and it is. Let's just establish that. Hey, Brittany, it's so good to see you. Thanks nice for your good work. You. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Keep up the good fight. I'll try my best. All right. And we'll be back. Jordan Fabian's at the White House every day for The Hill, joining us next here on The Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of The Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hey, I can't go outside. It's raining. I don't want my orange hair to get wet. It's raining. Uh, Yeah, Donald Trump's big fiasco in Paris. What do you say, everybody? Great to see you today on a Monday, Monday, November 12th. It is the Bill Press Show. We're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our little perch right here on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol building. They'll all be we're coming back to town tomorrow. Happy Veterans Day, uh, making it a long weekend for a lot of you. Um, but uh, we are here, as always, to bring you the news of the day, all the latest on every front here in Washington, around the country, around the globe. Uh, latest on the California wildfires, latest on the weekend in Paris, and giving you a chance to uh, sound off and comment on, give us your comments on the news of the day. You know how to do so. Just uh, pick up your device, go on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, And to help us through the news of the uh, day from the White House perspective, covers the White House for um, The Hill, TheHill.com, Jordan Fabian. Hey, Jordan, good to see you. Good to see you too, Bill. Nice to see you in your uh, day off clothes. Indeed, yeah. Casual Mondays, pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Veterans Day, no way the White House, nothing's going to happen. No public events scheduled, no briefing, no nothing. It's a federal holiday. Yeah, those days can often be the most dangerous days for President Trump. (laughs) So the Twitter handle will be active today. Give him a whole day in front of the TV and with his iPhone, right? Indeed. uh, Yeah, we will be hearing from him. I don't know if I haven't even checked. Whether he's, yeah, he, he went is. on some rant earlier. Yeah, he's yeah. tweeting this morning about the Florida election, right? Yeah. So there we go, right? Uh, send us your comments on Twitter again, at BP Show. We'll jump right into it with Jordan. But first, Peter. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, do you need a vacation? Oh, how did you guess? <laughs> yes. Well, if you need a vacation, here's what you should be doing. You should be living in Colorado. Coloradans 
have more vacation days than any other state in America. How many vacation days do they get? Why? I, I, I don't know why exactly. I'm just telling you, this is uh, they, they get more vacation. They take more time off. Their employers allow them to take more time off. They get 27.9 days off per year. Now, the national average is 23.2 days. So uh, that that's pretty good, man. I yeah. mean, they get you know almost a, a full work week more. You know, I mean, yeah. if, if you look at it that way, five almost yeah. five yeah. days more. Oh, the French get three months. So Colorado's I know I shouldn't to be go. too excited about it. You know, like it's it's great and all, but uh, other countries I think have it better. You're absolutely right. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, with Jared Polis, now the new governor, he, he might add some more time Let's there. Let's do it. Huh? Yeah. I'm all for it. <laughs> By the way, last week I told you about the Samsung uh, f- foldable phone. Remember that? It has yeah. a screen yeah. that's made of the plastic you. that you could fold. Do you hear about this? Uh, uh, I heard about it, but I only heard foldable phone. Then I think I thought, like, flip phones. This is not a. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. But it's, it's not. This is. It's a plastic screen that yeah. you can fold in half so that you can fit it into your pocket better. Well, here's the thing. Huh. We learned some more details about it. They are calling it the Infinity Flex display, and the starting price is rumored to be $1,770. Oh, boy. For a phone. Oh, boy. That's going to be a no for me, dog. But the whole concept of the folding phone, I think. You lost me there. Yeah. yeah. I don't need a folding phone. I'm certainly not going to pay almost two gur to get one. <laughs> Forget about it. Uh, oh. Also, we go to Canada, where a man bought his fiance an engagement ring. Isn't that sweet? Isn't that nice? She ended up leaving him a couple days later because he used her credit card <laughs> to buy the engagement ring, which is probably a bad sign. That's not off to a great start. I think uh, he's off to a great start. You're yeah. right. Well, she she actually left him and sued him for the money. A judge did say he has to pay her that money back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is the Bill Press Show. Yep, basic uh, rule in Florida. Count every vote, and every vote counts. Now three recounts underway. Hard to keep up with it all. Hello, everybody. The midterms are not over. You thought they were over last Tuesday? Uh-uh, still going on. It is Monday, November 12th. This is the Bill Press Show, and it's good to see you today as we join you uh, on the radio, on the great WCPT out in Chicago, on Free Speech TV. We're there with you as well, as well as online on YouTube, youtube.com slash of the Bill Press Show. Thanks so much for being part of the program. Happy Veterans Day. And remember, your comments always welcome uh, on Twitter, at BP Show. Lots going on today. Uh, lots on the presidential front, uh, which is uh, one of the many reasons. We're glad to see our good friend Jordan Fabian from The Hill, thehill.com here uh, in studio with us. So, Jordan, um, quite an eventful weekend in Paris for the president, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of... Uh I guess a lot of criticism of how that trip was handled. For yeah. Sure. yeah. So starting with Saturday with uh, his decision or somebody's decision um, not to join other world leaders in going to their respective cemeteries where their soldiers were particularly known for a particular battle or whatever, you know, uh, 
It was raining. Uh, President Macron went to one particular one, Angela Merkel to another, I don't know, Theresa May to another. Donald Trump didn't go at all, stayed in the embassy. Who, who would have made that decision? And what are they saying? So th- I, this is a decision that would be made by the White House and the Secret Service because uh, out of all the world leaders, the U.S. president always travels with the heaviest fo- footprint. So we're talking about you know, motorcade that has 30 or 40 vehicles in it. Uh, and if you can't helicopter to a destination, which my understanding was this, uh, you know, he's going to Belleau Wood, which is one of the, you know, this site of this famous battle, 55 miles outside of Paris. Uh, if you can't helicopter, that's a very long drive. You're snarling the roads. Um, so the White House said that he didn't want to cause a disruption by going out there. Um, and, and look, you, you know, you, we've covered these trips before. You know how heavy the president travels and how difficult it is to make these last minute uh, changes. That being said, you know this White House. Uh, you know something this White House has been told many times is that their their propensity to tell these easily disprovable falsehoods is going to erode their credibility. And this is a moment where it's catching up to them because not a lot of people believe that explanation that came from the White House that uh, you know they didn't want to cause an, uh, an unexpected disruption that they they uh, and they decided it was best for the president to stay inside while it was raining on Saturday. When everybody else did yes. go out. Uh, and also, um, w- when <laughs> um, when he travels, right, you're right, it's a long motorcade and everything, um, but the roads are usually cleared ahead of time for a presidential motorcade, right? Well, that but they, they were planning on, on helicoptering, so they wouldn't have necessarily right, cleared but, those roads. Uh, yes. Uh, okay. But, I mean, uh, right. When, when they couldn't go by helicopter, I guess there's always a back. Isn't there always a backup plan? Yeah, there should, saw, there should always be a backup plan, yes. I mean, I saw people from the Obama White House and the Bush White House who said every single event that we planned, we always had a backup plan in case of rain. Yeah. And, and I'll say this about this White House is that they've lost. So Joe Hagan was the deputy chief of staff for, for operations, and he was a Bush White House veteran and a guy who had experience planning these kinds of trips. He's gone now. So they mm. have somebody else in there. And uh, I don't know this for sure, but just you know, reading the, the, the situation, you know, perhaps they didn't have an adequate backup plan uh, in hand. Uh, that being said, that's that's their problem, and and it's certainly uh, you know the president is not going to be well served by a staff who's not thinking of those things. Again, not I don't have any inside information. That's what happened right. here. Right. Uh, but either way, uh, this whole thing was not handled uh, very well at all because you know, the, you know, the White House sort of being late on on responding to why this was happening. They had to issue multiple statements, um, and, and there was really a strong blowback to this decision. You know, the thing to to me was this is not shocking at all, right? Like when I saw this, this didn't surprise me. I wasn't, you know, completely thrown or taken aback by it. But this is one of those things that I think will stick with him for a long, long time. And Donald Trump seems to have a problem with getting things to stick to him, right? As he said, he could shoot somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue and get away with it. I, I absolutely agree with that, actually. But this is one of those things that, it pissed off Democrats, it pissed off Republicans, it pissed off veterans, it pissed off everybody, right? Like, this is literally the least you could have done, and you didn't do it. Yeah, because Peter also mentioned that this also comes on top of the fact that he has not yet visited Iraq or Afghanistan or an active combat zone where U.S. troops are serving. So you take that on top of this, 
And and uh, I think mm-hmm. in the AP interview where he was asked to explain yeah, that combat sick. zone thing, he yeah. said, "Well, you know, I'm a busy guy. That's not a great message a to send guy. to veterans. I mean, oh. or or active duty service members for that." Well, matter. you know, I had lost. I, I I guess I knew that. I'd lost sight of that. So far, he has not been to any active combat. Correct. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and remember George W. Bush and Barack Obama both, particularly at Thanksgiving. Being there, of right? course, yeah, and and it's easy to forget those conflicts now because we've mostly withdrawn right. our our troops, but there's still thousands of troops there in harm's yeah, way. Yeah. So, um, but he's he's not visited them, and and there's no we don't know of any plans to, uh, <laughs> for him to do that. By the way, in the sense of sticking with us, um, uh, I the McLaughlin Group is back, and they're trying to bring it back at any rate. And I was uh, the guest on that on that show on 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 Saturday. And this issue came up, and somebody raised that. In fact, one of the things that people still talk about with Ronald Reagan was the Bitburg Cemetery, where that whole controversy, if you remember, he went there, they had scheduled it, and it turned out there were some SS fighters buried there, and it was should he go or not go, but, and he did end up going, and that's, that's something that will always be, you know, associated with Ronald Reagan. So these cemetery visits are very significant. So the next day, Sunday, still raining in Paris. All the world leaders are marching up the Champs-Élysées to the Arc de Triomphe for this big ceremony. All the world leaders with their umbrellas marching up, except for, again, Donald Trump. Now, uh, and how did they explain that one? He arrives on his own, not having marched with them, as did Vladimir Putin, <laughs> who sort of kept dry until they got right to the Arc de Triomphe. <coughs> so it was once again sort of a snub to the world leaders and a you know, I can't go out in the rain, kind of. Thing. Right, and, and again, like there could be security concerns. I don't. I'm not privy to all the planning. That being said, th- this president doesn't. You know, for for his uh, for his acumen on, on the trail and how he he can like whip up these rallies and, and really understand stagecraft. When it comes to these kind of things, uh, sort of representing the country on the world stage, um, he he's looked small in a lot of these moments, and this uh, was the case again this past weekend. And a lot of it you have to say is bad staffing, right? Yes, I, I think that's, that's definitely part of it is that, right, he has a very inexperienced staff. And this is the case when he first entered office a couple of years ago. You've had a lot of departures since then. And, and again, he, he entered the office with the C team, and now we're kind of down to the D team. So, uh, yeah, not being well served by the staff in addition to, um, you know, his sort of awareness of these moments. All right. So the big question of the day, it seems to me, is, uh, is does the president know or does he not know Matt Whitaker? Oh, he certainly knows Matt Whitaker. Let's not <laughs> let's not be confused about this. He certainly knows Matt Whitaker. Uh, this is a guy who who he's met in the Oval Office with probably a dozen times or about. Uh, so and, and you know, there's that that clip from Fox and Friends last month mm-hmm. when he's saying, "Oh, he's a great guy." Oh, I know Matt Whitaker. I mean, this is there's no mis- they make no mistake about it. He knows him. So, uh, what was he trying to do? Um, what was it Friday or whenever he left for right. Paris? Uh, when he said, "I don't really know Matt Whitaker," well, he's he's trying to distance himself from Matt Whitaker uh, because Matt Whitaker had a lot of uh, you know, negative headlines about him come out last week. In addition to uh, the, the scrutiny about his thoughts on the Russian investigation, you have it come out that he was on the board of directors of this okay. company that was shut down by the FTC for fraud. So, uh, you know, in this situation, we see the president do this before where you know, somebody in his cabinet or somebody in his White House gets under the microscope for the wrong reasons. And he says, oh, I, I barely know that guy, <laughs> whether it's true or not. <laughs> I, I, my favorite is still when he called Steve Bannon 
a White House staffer. Yes. Like, or how about guy, Paul Manafort? Yeah, also that. Yeah. yeah, yeah right. Paul, yeah, sure. I kind of knew the guy. Yeah. Right. He only managed my campaign for two months <laughs> during the most critical stretch of the election. So does, yeah. Whitaker, does Whitaker last? Well, I mean, I, I don't think he's going to be replaced as acting attorney general. Uh, the question is, how long will he be in that post before the president nominates somebody to replace him? And um, look, I mean, the, pre- the Republicans will be in charge of the Senate no matter what. So he can decide to do that sooner rather than later. Uh, under the Vacancies Act, which he, under which he is serving, he has 210 days to be in that mm-hmm. post. Mm-hmm. So he could be in there until next May if he, if he really wants to. Um, so, you know. The president's talked publicly about people he might choose, but we don't have any kind of timeline about. What's the inside uh, scoop on uh, who's who? The well, there's a lot of people being considered. Uh, you know, Pam Bondi from Florida. Uh, there's been some former AGs like Bill Barr uh, mentioned some some federal judges, and then one name out there is, is Chris Christie, the uh, former New Jersey governor. Uh, you know, he, he's that's been, been f- in the woodshed for two years. So yeah, you know, and it's... and look, I I I have a really hard time. Uh, and, and look, I, I know, you know, Christy, you know, might just, if he was offered the position, I assume he'd expect it, but I, I have a hard time believing that the president is going to choose the guy who a, he fired from running his transition and B locked up Jared Kushner's father. Ding, 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 ding. I, That's I the correct answer. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly it. I just have a hard time believing that guy's going to be the attorney general. You know, the name that I do not hear mentioned and like, and the person that we never see anymore. Whatever happened to Rudy Giuliani? Yeah, yeah, he's been pretty quiet, un- un- conspicuously quiet. I mean, there was a time we all remember not that long ago when you could not look at cable TV without seeing Rudy Giuliani and hearing Rudy Giuliani, and sometimes all three channels at once. It seemed, you know, he was everywhere. Yeah, every time you want to call him on the phone and talk about the Knicks, you know, he'd be down. So, <laughs> <laughs> but now he's uh, he's yeah. sort of incognito. Yeah. Uh, look, I I, right. I, I, so, but, I I don't know the explanation for why he's kind of disappeared. Uh, but I will, I will say the Mueller investigation seems to be kind of nearing its close to its end point. Or it seemed to be moving in that direction. So uh, you know maybe he's he's chosen uh, silence well, as well, the best good, course that's, right that's, now. That's, that's a good point. You know because there was some there were some rumors before buzz a little bit before the midterms that Mueller was he kept quiet during the midterms wisely so. But he was loaded for bear and ready to come out with some something big right after the midterms. Was that based on anything? And what do we know? Well, the Justice Department guidelines in these cases generally say that you're not supposed to make public statements or come out with anything in a case that would have a political impact. So mm-hmm. Mueller seemed to have abided by that guideline. Uh, now, so that I think the, the assumption that he would stay quiet before the midterms was based on that. Uh, and, and and there was some reporting before the midterms that uh, th- there was some there's this litigation ongoing and I think Politico magazine had a case of speculating whether it might be they're trying to subpoena Trump for an interview mm-hmm. and, and if that's the case uh, you know that's the point at which a lot of legal experts think well once once you interview Trump uh, it's really that's that's a final uh, indication that this, this thing's coming to an end right right um, at the news conference Wednesday. Um, Donald Trump seemed to, in talking about the midterms uh, and the fact that the Democrats would be controlling the House, he gave, at best, a mixed message, I think. But the one message was, okay, uh, you Democrats, you got two choices, investigate or cooperate. Is one or the other. Right. And if you investigate, I ain't going to cooperate with you. If you cooperate, I'm ready to make some deals. 
So what 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 can we expect out of this? Is we're going to be Donald Trump the deal maker or Donald Trump the you know infighter? Right now, it seems like we're in infighter mode. The fact that he decided to fire Jeff Sessions on the same day as that press conference, he had to know that was going to provoke interest from House Democrats and probably initiate some kind of investigation. And in fact, you had Jerry Nadler, who's going to be the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, come out and say he wants to investigate that. Um, he so said you, Matt Whitaker will be his first witness. Yes. <laughs> so so you, you have this. Right now, we're heading down the path of investigation. That being said, I wouldn't put it past President Trump, even amidst all this uh, partisan fear over investigations, decide to throw out the olive branch to Democrats to work together on, say, an infrastructure deal or something on prescription drug pricing. Right. (laughs) Well, look, I mean, this is something Democrats want to do. Yes. Yes. And and they're going to, you know, I I got to say. Donald Trump said he wanted to do. Correct. And and I don't, again, we seem to be heading down this investigation path, but. I think if you the the uh, Congress starts up next year and and De- and Donald Trump decides to throw this out there, it's going to be a tough choice for Democrats because a lot of them want to work on this. That but there's going to be a lot of pressure from the left and a lot of and a lot of pressure uh, fr- from the the caucus to not deliver a legislative victory for President Trump heading into his reelection campaign in 2020. But that's a tough political question for Democrats because. If they do that, he's going to go all in on the you're obstructionist. You're not you're hurting the country, whether it's true or not. But that he's going to go down that road. He's going to be wanting to use Democrats as a foil, and they need to be prepared uh, for that dynamic and how how to how to uh, respond to that. Well, I find it um, uh, very amusing that Republicans are now saying, "Oh no, the Democrats are going to hold hearings." Oh God! I mean, yeah, hello, Benghazi, right? <laughs> yeah, no, right. I mean, look, or this... Hillary's emails, and and also part of the job of Congress is they appropriate money and they exercise oversight to make sure the money is well spent. Right? Yes, that's their job. They're going to have to hold hearings. Yes, and they're going to have to hold hearings. And they're, some they're, investigations. They're, yeah, their, their voters want it. This is what they've promised to do, so that they have to do it. It's um, a fine line. But, yes. But do you but think the, they can the fine, do... the fine line is, uh, are you going to overreach? Because Republicans right. over... Right. I mean, you, you the Benghazi hearings is a perfect yeah. example. I mean, that yes. was yes. A, a huge overreach. political strike against them. I think most people sort of agree that that was not, not handled well. You, you know, go back to the, you know, the Clinton era. The, there was so much blowback on how that was handled. Now, Democrats have it's going to be tough. And, and you, you saw some even during the, the Kavanaugh hearings, there was some criticism of how Senate Democrats handle that. Right. Um, the, so, again, there, there are political perils to oversight that. And I think Henry Waxman made, made this point. The former Oversight Committee chairman made this point in a in a New York Times op ed or Washington Post op ed a few weeks ago, sort of giving advice for his mm-hmm. former colleagues on how to handle that. Right. And I thought Jerry Nadler was speaking in that direction. No, I'm sorry. It was uh, Elijah Cummings, who would be head of the House o- Oversight Committee. Right? right. Who he said, "Yeah, we have subpoena power," but he said, "I'm not going to be throwing subpoenas out wildly. You know, if I have to, I'm willing to use them, but it's not going to be everybody gets one or something." So right. I think he was saying, "We'll take it." But so my question is, can't they do both without overreach? But I mean, can't they do both, and won't they? Isn't their kind of job to do both? I mean, get legislation done, but also do their oversight. Yeah. No, I mean, look, I think it's possible. And, and I wrote a story on this a few weeks ago about how the 
there are areas where Democrats and Trump can work together. And, I saw and, that, and that right. the White House really does want to work. I mean, at least they're putting the signals out there that so they do in, want to do infrastructure it. Infrastructure is one. Prescription drug pricing. Prescription drug. Middle class tax cut. No. No? No, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, I, I just can't imagine. I mean, Democrats have sort of been on the, I mean, unless it's packaged with something else, maybe uh, maybe an infrastructure package, but I just can't imagine they're going to give Trump another tax cut. That just doesn't doesn't yeah. seem right to me. So, and it's not something that, that officials I talk to mention come up either. Really? No. Um, there was one other area, maybe immigration? Yeah, that's such a- Dreamers? That's, yeah, that's a third rail issue. I, yeah. I mean, I think that would be kind of the ultimate deal. Uh, it was is sort of you know Trump having his Nixon to China moment and making a deal with Democrats on immigration, but uh, you know we still we still have Stephen Miller in the White House, uh, and and I don't think he's going to really go down for that. But see, uh, 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 it seems to me that Donald Trump there there are some deals he's going to want to make. I mean, remember the the time when they sat in the Oval Office with Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and and uh, Paul Ryan. And and right in front of them, Donald Trump sided with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. That's right, right. That's right. And so, look, I mean, this is a guy who he. I'll, I'll put to put it nicely. He's ideologically flexible. This is <laughs> this is not someone who's a diet in the wool conservative. Right. So he's not going to be. He wants to make deals. He's his background right. is New York real estate. He wants right. to make deals. Um, he wants wins. And the the way to get wins now in this divided Congress is to find stuff that. You know, they can pass through a Democratic House and a Republican Senate. It's going to be very difficult, but so, that's what Trump wants to do. So he will want to make deals looking toward 2020. Yes. And Democrats are going to want to make some deals looking toward 2020. Perhaps. Right? To show that well, we, you put us in charge, We de- unlike the Republicans, we delivered. Right. On, if, boom, boom, if, boom. if that's the strategy they choose. But I think there's yeah. still some disagreement over that. I mean, you, the, the, the message from leadership is we will make deals where we can. We will investigate where we can. Whether the rank and file... Is willing to to accept that path, or I think remains to be seen. There's still a lot that's unsettled about how this new Democratic caucus is coming together, and I think the first few weeks of 2019 will sort of give us the the picture of how they're of what direction they're going in. And I'll also point out too that you know aside from that budget deal, we haven't seen Trump really work together too closely with House Democrats. So this is yeah, these are all yeah. new relationships. He's getting off on, on uh, you know from from square one here, and uh, we'll see how it works out. You know, um, I've been wondering what the, the president for the last three weeks, maybe a month, and by the way, I say to his credit, I wish Barack Obama had done more than he did in the midterms when he was president. This president had one focus, you know, all those rallies, right? Yeah. <laughs> they had a, ended up having 53 rallies or something like that. Uh, and yeah, a lot of them were, he, he knew that would benefit him for 2020, but he was doing that for particularly for Senate candidates. And I think it made a difference. In several races, I, I think you could Joe Donnelly and Claire McCaskill and Heidi Heitkamp, all three of those were impacted significantly by Donald Trump's presence, uh, uh, rallying up his base and getting that vote out. My question is now that the midterms are behind us, what's he what's he focus on? What's his energy on now? I mean, was so consuming the midterms, right? What do you think? I mean. Well, I mean, I think you could point to three things. I mean, this lame duck is still, is going to be an interesting session because you have the spending fight coming up. He still wants the wall. He wants the wall funding. This is his last chance for the wall, isn't Correct. it? Correct. So I think you can expect some kind of final push for that. Uh, you have the preparing for the investigations. That's going to be something that does consume a large chunk of the White House's focus. Uh, the White House counsel's office is kind of depleted. We don't even have a permanent 
Whitehouse Council in place right now. Pat Cipollone hasn't even started his job yet. So that's going to be a huge undertaking for him. And then you have 2020 gearing up. I mean, it's it's kind of wild to think about, but uh, this is, uh, you know, the president is very consumed about on the campaign. Uh, and I think you're going to start to see some folks in the White House leave for, to work for the Trump 2020 campaign. And I wouldn't be surprised if he was out early in the first part of 2019 starting to ramp up the campaign so season. So it won't be the end of the rallies. It'll just be... It's the beginning. The beginning, <laughs> right. The beginning of the rallies with a focus more... Even in the midterms, a lot of the focus was on 2020. And of course. There were signs, Trump 2020, right, yeah. that they were holding up. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But they'll be flat out. Now this is... Yeah, well, I hadn't thought about that. Right. Why wait till 2020 to... To run, right? Yeah, I mean, like you see, past presidents were often circumspect about this whole campaigning thing. They kind of put it off until they really needed to. But the, you know, he's leaned into it, I and mean, he's raised a lot of money for his campaign. I think record numbers for a president who's not actually up for re-election. Uh, you know, he's doing all these rallies, and like you said, you, you, he was in Iowa, he was in Ohio, he was in Florida. A lot yeah. of these key states for his yeah. re-election. Uh, so yeah, I think the, the, that's going to be. Look, what does he like to talk about these rallies? Twenty sixteen election. I mean, he loves he loves the campaign. He loves election. That's that's where he's at his most natural. So that's where he's going to be. Uh, clearly, and you've written about this too. Um, Jeff Sessions is not going to be the the uh, Trump White House post midterms. Correct. Some of the others have it's been a week now, but none of the, who else is on the chopping block. Well, I think the next guy up is Ryan Zinke at Interior. Uh, he's uh, that's somebody who people at the White House are concerned that is going to come under the microscope from Democrats in these investigations. I mean, they mm-hmm. have a wealth of material to choose from between these land deals. He's cunning with his wife out in Montana yeah. uh, to how he's run the Interior Department. Uh, the president has not given him the full vote of confidence when he's been asked about this. He said, I'll look at it when asked about these investigations. So I think it's a sure bet that he will be uh, among the the next to leave. You know, I'm trying to think of one cabinet position that hasn't, in these two years, less than two years, been subject to some sort of scandal. I think Rick Perry... I was about to say, Rick Perry is the only one I could think of. In fact, you just sort of forgot that Rick Perry even exists. I know. (laughs) I know. I never see him around town. I never hear of him being around town. I mean, he never pops up in... Spotted at Le Diplomat right. for brunch, you know, Rick Perry. I mean, I don't know. Is he even in town? Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Who knows? But like every other cabinet member seems to have something. Betsy DeVos had something. Ben Carson had something. <laughs> uh, uh, obviously, Tom Price got pushed out for, you know, his problems. Uh, Scott Pruitt. I mean, David Shulkin at Vets. David Shulkin. Go on and on and on, right? Zinke. I you mean, know, it's just, it never ends. Yeah, Jim Mattis, too, secretary. Sure. He's, okay. Fair. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's, he's across he, the come room. out of the he's microscope, lucky. but he's yeah. uh, no, no no real scandals that we know of. No, so, no. Yeah. Uh, John Kelly, the constant source of speculation. Right. <laughs> the, the The last word uh, from the president was that he's staying until twenty twenty, but uh, th- that's a long time from now. And uh, you know, we still have these uh, you know, these stories pop up, like the Olivia Nuzzi piece, where <laughs> they're they're going all out to to prove that that relationship is okay when uh, we we know it's not. I mean. It's not the relationship it was, and uh, you know, at, at a certain point, there could be a breaking point over the next year or two. Uh, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if he left it before okay. that date. So, uh, final question: um, I still have my hard pass. Do you? I do. Yeah. 
As of today? As of today. Yeah, you never know. Uh, when the president says he may be coming after some other reporters, is that an, do you consider that, I don't, know, I don't want to get you in trouble here, but um, uh, Adam Schiff suggested yesterday on Meet the Press, I think, or one of the Sunday shows, that he may be looking at that as an abuse of presidential power. There is a Supreme Court decision about this. Uh, you know, there was a Nation reporter who was who either press pass stripped, and and the, and the court ruled that uh, you know in a public space, like the 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 White House has basically made the briefing a public space, and then mm-hmm. you, the constitutional rights have to be protected in those spaces. Uh, whether that applies to, to this case with Jim Acosta, I don't know. I'm not a legal expert, but uh, I you know if this continues, I, I you know this could reach a higher level. Right. Yeah. And, and when you see him lash out against April Ryan, against uh, Yamish, is that her name? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and Abby Phillips, uh, as well as Jim, Jim Acosta, pretty troubling. Yeah. I mean, and those are all three, uh, you know, great reporters who are just trying to do their jobs. And, uh, you know, you, you don't want to see them come under attack like that uh, because, you know, the, you have to remember that this is, it's not just you know, in this setting, it's not a television show. These people, everyone has personal lives. And a lot of times when people come under attack by Trump, you know, people will threaten them. People will, uh, you know, I've heard, I've heard some terrible stories about that sort of thing. So, uh, it's not a game. Uh, everyone should be treated with respect. I will say this though, you know, the president, you know, for all this bluster against the media and and the, the fact that he's stripping press passes, I mean, he thrives off of interactions with the media. He loves it. Look at how much he was talking to the media in the lead up to the midterm elections. And he's coming back on Air Force One to talk to us all yeah. the time, bringing us up to his office. So for all this th- this stuff that he likes to say about the fake news, I mean, he if, if the news media didn't exist, I'm not sure what Donald Trump would do with himself. No, I think you're absolutely right. It does. It's, this, uh, it's more than a love-hate. I mean, he really, look, he's a creature of the media. Let's face it, right? Yes. He really is. Yes. And, and that's very much his environment. So uh, I think he probably enjoyed that exchange and would probably like to see more of them. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Jordan, great to see you. Enjoy the rest of your day off. Thanks for <laughs> getting up early for us this morning. Appreciate it very much. At the Hill, thehill.com. Follow Jordan. And when we come back from HuffPost, HuffPost.com, Kevin Robiar here in the studio with us. Stay tuned. Quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. How about it? Monday, November 12, Veterans Day. Uh, Hello, everybody. Great to see you today. And we certainly salute all of our men and women who have worn the uniform defending the United States uh, and are doing so today. Thank you all for your service. uh, And we value uh, all of your contribution to this country. We're brought to you today by the Labor's International Union of North America. Uh, doing a great job of building a better America, LiunaBuildsAmerica.org. That's their website, LiunaBuildsAmerica.org. Thanks to them and their president, Terry O'Sullivan, for their great work and their support of the program, uh, still trying to sort out and read the tea leaves from last week's midterm elections because so many of the races are yet to be finally called. Matt Robiar, Kevin Robiar, I'm sorry, from HuffPost, senior political reporter, uh, good enough to join us in studio on this uh, federal holiday. Hello, mm-hmm. Kevin. Good to see you. Great to be on. Uh, yeah, we, um, we're we still waiting for all the final, the last shoes to drop, huh? In, yeah. In several states. Yeah, really, and most of them are out <laughs> west where there tends to be more mail-in ballots. 
Um, I think the big thing we're still waiting on is obviously Arizona Senate race. Um, there are recounts in Florida. Um, but Arizona Senate, we're still waiting for the initial call. And uh, several congressional seats yeah, in California. And several congressional seats in California. Most of those, along with the Arizona Senate seat, all seem to be trending towards Democrats. Um, I think we're probably getting pretty close to the Arizona Senate seat being called for cinema. It um, is 32,640 mm -hmm. cinemas ahead of McSally, and uh, and it's going in that direction because McSally mm -hmm. was ahead the election mm -hmm. night. Yeah. Yeah, and most of the remaining and, ballots were from Maricopa County, yeah. uh, which is Phoenix, which is probably uh, the place where cinema gets the most ballots. Maricopa County includes more than just Phoenix, so cinema only ends up winning it by you know, not a margin you would expect the Democrat to win the city mm -hmm. by, but uh, it show show win by um, hopefully a fairly safe margin. But, I point. mean, uh, uh, let's not rush on that, rush away from that too soon. I mean, it is huge for Democrats to pick up a Senate seat in mm -hmm. Arizona. Yeah, if and, in fact they do, and it looks yeah, like they I have. I mean, it's huge. They they have not held a Senate seat in Arizona for quite a long time. They haven't won statewide mm -hmm. office there at all. I believe since two thousand and six. Uh, so that's itself is a big accomplishment. It also is a very big accomplishment because it, you know, Republicans at this point have picked up three, possibly four Senate seats. Democrats have at least picked up one in uh, Nevada. Nevada. Picking up a second would really do a lot um, to sort of hold down the Republican margin in the Senate, make it possible for Democrats to win back the chamber in 2020. So uh, Donald Trump was talking the morning after saying it could be as many as 55. Mm -hmm. It looks like it's going to end up it could be 52. Yeah, I mean, 52 would require the Florida to yeah. change. Yeah. Um, that, to me, doesn't appear very likely. Um, Mark Elias, who is the Democratic lawyer above all other Democratic lawyers, he basically represents every Democratic politician we can think of, or rather his law firm, Perkins Coie, mm -hmm. does. Uh, he is arguing that there may have been a systematic uh, undercount in Broward of votes for Bill Nelson. Um, that was something wrong with the machines. If that's true, there's possibly a path back for Nelson. What appears more likely, perhaps, is uh, some people may have seen this on the Internet. Basically, uh, Broward County designed their ballot very poorly. Um, if you look at it, you basically would see the instructions and then right to your right was the governor's race. And then the Senate race was all the way down in this corner. So what it appears is that a lot of people in Broward County, one of the most heavily Democratic counties in Florida, just didn't vote for the Senate race because they didn't know it was there. They're calling the undervotes. The undervotes. Yeah. So that's really, um, if that's the case, and it is just because of this ballot design and not because of something wrong with the machines, which is what Mark Elias was arguing, it's very difficult to see a way back for Nelson. It that, just does speak to mm -hmm. the outrage mm -hmm. that... Freaking Florida hasn't, you know, doesn't have a ballot that everybody that that it's like the butterfly ballot in mm -hmm. 2000. You would think they would have learned a lesson every single county and there'd be some statewide standard that yeah. people would have to follow. Right. Yeah. That's I it's mean, Jesus. It's remarkable that, it, again, this is all happening in Florida. And to a certain extent, it makes sense. Florida is a very evenly divided state. It's the state that's going to go to recounts the most. Uh, that said, the fact that we're again having problems with ballot design there is incredible. And the fact that now, you know, Republicans have been, I've spent sort of the past week complaining about the Broward County Elections Office, and Democrats also might seem to have a legitimate complaint with them and that they've yes. their ballot Yeah, very maybe even more so. But uh, so with a lot of attention to Senate races, don't want to discount that, mm -hmm. but not enough attention, I believe, to governor's races. Mm -hmm. Governor's races, when it, people ask me about, 
the midterms, I'll point out right away, to flipping seven governorships. Mm -hmm. Not only that number, but where they were. I mean, Mm -hmm. in the heartland, Mm -hmm. if you want a blue wall, right? Mm -hmm. It's sort of a blue wall when you got Pennsylvania, Illinois, Michigan. Mm -hmm. Wisconsin. Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. Kansas. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's stunning. And so... Uh, and Wisconsin, for example, right? Yeah. Everybody thought Scott Walker's had so many lives like a cat, mm-hmm. right? And But he finally ran out. And yeah. I mean, look. Some to of the... not a great candidate, I didn't think. But well, <laughs> well-liked, Troy Evers, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, Tony Evers. Tony yeah. Evers, sorry. Um, yeah. I, I once dubbed him one of the blandest candidates in the country. Um, <laughs> there was, to a certain extent, an argument among Democrats that I buy into a little bit. That that actually may have helped him, and um, that he was able to sort of portray himself as Scott Walker has basically been political chaos yeah. since Walker's been there. There's always been something, um, and Democrat and Republicans would say, "Well, Democrats created the political chaos and reacted to Scott Walker." But regardless, there's been the mass protests around Act Ten and sort of the union busting. Then there was the recall. Then Scott Walker ran for president. Yeah, and it's just that new stuff is keep happening. You look at Tony Evers and you're like, this isn't a man who's going to one day run for president. And, you know, what he basically was promising them was fairly simple. He's like, I'm going to fix potholes. I'm going to increase education funding and I'm going to expand Medicaid. Those that sort of simple platform, not promising to go into Medicare for all Mm. or anything like that. That is sort of a platform that everyone could agree on in the state and that it, you know, is allowed him to sort of represent, I am calm, Scott Walker is chaos. Yeah. Um, and that may have worked. I mean, it certainly helped him that Tammy Baldwin won the state by 10. Mm. Um, Baldwin mm-hmm. uh, was able to sort of carry him a little bit over the finish line, uh, particularly in some of the rural areas where there were, in the end, a lot of Baldwin-Walker voters, which seems very odd uh, <laughs> considering their yeah. reputations. Yeah. But um, look, that, that that actually happened in a number of states. There's a lot of indication that people are splitting their votes um, still. I know that we tend to think that the swing voter mm-hmm. is dead, but yeah. in states like Iowa and states like Wisconsin, even in Florida, there's some evidence that there was a substantial amount yeah. of ticket splitting. Right. Uh, and as uh, as maybe surprising as, as Wisconsin was, Kansas was even a bigger surprise. Yeah. I mean, Kansas sort of by the time we got to Election Day wasn't a big surprise, but if you had said at the beginning of the cycle – Democrats were picking up the Kansas governorship. Um, it would have been considered very optimistic. Um, look, and that's a simple matter of Chris Kobach not running a very good campaign. Um, this is a guy who couldn't figure out how to translate what made him sort of this national conservative icon into something that could get him elected in his own <laughs> in state. In his own state, yeah. Um, he was, in his stump speeches, still, in my understanding, talking about illegal immigration and voter fraud. And that's just not what a typical voter in a general election is going mm-hmm. to care about. Um, there was polling that even among Republicans in Kansas, the top issue was education. Um, Sam Brownback had delivered really devastating cuts to the mm-hmm. education uh, funding in the state. That was sort of Laura Kelly, who was the Democratic nominee and now is governor-elect's top issue. Um, and Kobach just really – it wasn't that his answer on the issue was wrong. It was that he didn't really have an answer on the issue at all. Um you know, someone would ask about education, his answer was voter fraud. Uh, so well, that really so he is... He was bitten by the national publicity bug. and mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There was and... sort of an autopsy done on the Kobach campaign that came out this week, and I forgot mm-hmm. who wrote it. And it's just so good. Mm-hmm. It's so good about how 
he had his staff go to the governor's uh, office to sort of like take measurements days before the election. Get mm. out, really? Like he just thought he was going to coast yeah. and didn't run the election that he needed to run. He was too, he like looked way past election day, mm-hmm. which we've t- talked about this story many many times. That is mm-hmm. not a good sign for your campaign. No. I mean, I think there we should have talked to Hillary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how many Chris Kovach Hillary summits uh, are happening. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and look, this is a, a state where part of the reason this was possible at all um, was Sam Brownback, who at this point is no longer the governor. Uh, he left for a Trump administration job. Jeff Coyler, the guy who succeeded him, um, also would have had to fight to win re-election. This would have been a close race either way. I think a lot of national Republicans think Coyler probably would have pulled it out as mm-hmm. opposed to Kobach. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, it was because the tax cuts he passed and the resulting cuts to education funding were massively, massively unpopular. And that's what made um, you know that race close to begin with. There was a very unpopular, outgoing Republican administration. Right. Uh, Illinois was sort of a set. We knew that mm-hmm. what was going to happen there with uh, J.B. Pritzker. Uh, Michigan was expected mm-hmm. as well, but still significant in that sense. The blue wall in the heartland, mm-hmm. particularly looking at 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you look at these blue walls. this is where Trump won. Mm-hmm. If you look at these blue wall states between um, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, those are the three states that Trump won them all by, yeah. you know, only a few tens of thousands of votes, not a very significant margin. Um, in each one of those states, there was at least one Democratic statewide office holder who blew out their opponent. Um, in Pennsylvania, both Tom Wolf and Bob Casey did. Uh, in Michigan, Whitmer did. Uh, Stabenow had sort of a closer race than was originally anticipated. John James, the Republican nominee there, was had a very good biography mm-hmm. um, and really caught some momentum right at the end. But still, at the end, Stabenow ended up winning by six or seven points. Uh, and then in Wisconsin, Baldwin just completely ran away from Leah Vukmir. Um, so really, that's a very encouraging sign for Democrats heading into 2020. I should also note, however, that Republicans won all those states in 2010, and then Barack yep. Obama won them right back in 2012. So uh, the opposite can obviously happen. Uh, in terms of governors, uh, there are um, big, big, big win in uh, Colorado, too, with Jared mm-hmm. Polis. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's going to be a Democratic trifecta there because they also won control of both chambers of the state legislature. So that's a really big deal. Um those new trifectas, some mm-hmm. of them, in addition to Colorado, I believe they're also new in Nevada and Maine. Right, Nevada um, for sure, and yeah, Maine. Yeah, are going to be right. really, really big deals. And in New Mexico, um, there is now one as well. Right. Uh, two other governorships that are still uh, undecided mm-hmm. um, in Florida mm-hmm. and in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you see those recounts? It's it's tough to see. Well, um, it's a recount of one possible yeah, runoff in Georgia. Possible runoff in yeah. in Georgia. So let's focus on Georgia first. I mean, the, the last I saw, Kemp was ahead by less than fifty nine thousand. But the key there is he has to be below fifty. Below fifty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what is he fifty point one now? Or? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's possible. It is hard. There's not too, too many ballots left outstanding there. I was looking at some of the numbers yesterday, uh, so I don't know. They may have been updated. Uh, it's possible, but it's hard to see it. Um, that said, you know, the Abrams campaign certainly seems very confident about it. I believe they actually booked some TV time for the runoff, indicating that they think it is going to happen, which also could just be them projecting confidence. So Runoff would be uh, a one-month campaign? Yes, roughly, yeah. 
I believe it would be the first week of December. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with those two, I mean, they just go back at it again. Yeah, right? they would just they would really just go back at it again. Um, I think there would be a lot of national money would pour in. I think. Um, Can you was... even imagine? Oh, it's going to be insane. Yeah. And what about like some of these decisions? So there'd be a new. Of course, there is already a new acting secretary of state. I mm-hmm. guess right. What I'm wondering if, if some of the people who were disenfranchised by Brian Kemp in the first round mm-hmm. would get to vote in the second round. Yeah, I'm. I'm honestly not sure about the rules. That, that level of spe- specificity. Um, <laughs> one thing I will also say that is somewhat interesting is you guys might remember John Barrow was a very conservative Democratic congressman from Georgia. Uh, he actually is already in a runoff to become Secretary of State in Georgia, <laughs> um, which could be interesting. Um, he you know, he certainly was a blue dog Democrat in Congress, but he definitely has run on sort of voting rights. And in some ways, hmm. despite being very, very different from Stacey Abrams, has sort of that message has matched up well. So it would be interesting to see if he can win control of sort of this office that Brian Kemp has controlled, what that could, that could have big implications for Georgia in 2020, where there will be both mm-hmm. it'll be both a contested presidential seat, presidential state, and a uh, contested uh, Senate seat, and sort of going forward. Um, and that is one thing. Also, in Arizona, it looks like Democrats might also flip the Secretary of State's office there, which again could have big implications for the presidential. Race. You know, no matter what happens in Georgia, it is heartening to see the Democrats are taking on this. Voter disenfranchisement, yeah, gerrymandering, yeah, yeah. all of this stuff, which has worked against our favor as Democrats uh, for many election cycles now. I mean, you look what happened in Pennsylvania. They redrew the lines in Pennsylvania. They got that taken care of. And Pennsylvania voted overwhelmingly blue. Right, right. This, this time around. Yeah. Yeah. This time in Florida, for example, we do not have a Joe Lieberman uh, who is going to pull a rug out from under his... Uh, <laughs> under his running mate, Al Gore, by saying, oh, yeah, let's just wrap it up here and mm-hmm. and accept that we lost. No, we didn't, Joe. Um, but so down to uh, down to Florida, um, people say it's a little complicated by the fact that uh, Andrew Gillum had already um, d- uh, made his concession speech. But yesterday, um, the good mayor said, just to make it clear, mm-hmm. that <laughs> that concession is no longer viable. Uh, Mm -hmm. He didn't use that word, but here he is. I am replacing uh, my words of concession with an uncompromised and unapologetic call that we count every single vote. Uh, Actually, a concession is legally meaningless anyhow. Yeah, Yeah. the the law does not care that. Uh, In the rain in Tallahassee, Andrew Killer made that concession sheet. It it just doesn't care. Right, (laughs) right. so you got the two recount. You got the agricultural commissioner recount. Frankly, mm-hmm. I don't care who's the agricultural commissioner of Florida. Maybe I should. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, first of all, it was surprising, or did it surprise you that what happened was the reverse of what people expected? That what people were saying was that Andrew Gillum was going to get so many votes he mm-hmm. would pull Bill Nelson across the finish line. Actually, Bill Nelson ended up getting more votes yeah. than Andrew Gillum. Yeah, it it is definitely interesting, particularly considering there was, like we said, that ballot problem where a bunch of people in a very Democratic county yeah, yes, didn't vote yes. for Bill Nelson. Right. Um, is this so, the Tom Bradley effect, do you it think? It could be the Bra- – I mean, look, if you look at where polling overall for the midterm elections was pretty good. Um, 
particularly most of the statewide races where it said they were close, they ended up being close. Yeah. They didn't always nail the call every time. Uh, you know, polling had, for example, the Democratic candidate for governor in Iowa a little bit ahead. He ended up losing by a little bit. Florida seems to be the one where there was a fairly substantial miss. Uh, and that could be the Bradley effect. That was sort of immediately where my mind went to. For those who don't know, the Bradley effect basically indicates that black candidates for office frequently will pull better than they actually perform on Election Day because— And of, it refers to Tom Bradley mm-hmm. running for governor of California, California. Mm-hmm. where the poll showed him distinctly ahead. And mm-hmm. when the votes were counted, people—yeah, they weren't—they wouldn't tell the pollster they were going to vote against a black man, but they ended up doing so. Mm-hmm. Right. Um so uh, do you give either one of the Bill Nelson or Andrew Gillum um, better than a 50% chance of pulling those off? Or? I, I'm, I'm not particularly confident. Here we're confident. talking again, recount, not yeah. runoff. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm not particularly confident. At this point, most recounts, there's the chance of a hand recount, particularly in the Senate race. In that case, things could get interesting. Um, at this point, recounts really just consist of running the ballots through the machine again often. Um, I think the one variable here is if Mark Elias, uh, Bill Nelson's lawyer, is correct and there is something wrong with those voting machines in Broward County and that's what's leading to those undercounts and not the ballot design, then things could get very interesting in the Senate race. That said, even with that, it's might be hard for Nelson to make up all the What's the needs. difference between the hand count and the machine count? When, what decides whether they do a hand count or a machine count? I believe it is a percentage. So I believe it's 0.5 for the machine count and 0.1 for the hand count. So I think the Senate race looks like it might get there for the hand count. Wait, um, whoa, I, whoa, whoa. So that was about 8 million votes cast or mm-hmm. something? They're going to have to count by hand every... Isn't there a deadline by... That has I to be, think... Uh, no one has quite said this yet, but I was sort of reading between the lines. I would have to do a little bit more reporting on this. It looks like this could turn into a Al Franken, uh, Norm Coleman situation, where this is perhaps maybe not going as far as that did, which Franken didn't get seated to what, June in 2008. Is that right? Wow. Um, I this, forgot how long that the, dragged on. I mean, right. I don't think there's ever been sort of a hand recount of this scope in Well, Florida. as I mentioned earlier, this is not a national emergency, right? I mm-hmm. mean, the Supreme Court was able to pretend that it was a national emergency because we didn't know who the new president was going to be. Yeah. I think they acted prematurely, but that's another discussion. But we could certainly survive not knowing who the next senator from Florida was going to be, right? Or even who the next governor was going to be. I mean, I, I think people in Florida might argue that, yeah, they probably do need a governor. For senator, I mean, there's tons of precedent for people not getting seated right away. Yeah. Um, most yeah. recently, like we said, Al Franken. There's been other cases where, in the past, where House races weren't called in time. Um, look, there's lots of precedent for this happening. And, you know, states go without senators or congressmen for weeks at a time while governors make appointments or whatever all the time. Do you see any um, body being propelled by their showing in 2018 propelled to uh, as a front runner for 2020 among the Democrats? Not quite. Um, you've gotten a lot of Amy Klobuchar buzz. Um, I'm, I mean, I think she's definitely going to take a look at it, um, but I don't think she's going to instantly become the front runner. Sherrod Brown is sort of the other mm-hmm. one, although he actually ended up underperforming his polling a little bit, um, which isn't necessarily a great sign for a candidate. The other thing that I would be very but worried he about. he did as a Democrat, won Ohio. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that is 
a little worrying for Jared Brown is it was sort of the resurrection of claims made by his ex-wife of abuse. Uh, his ex-wife has since, which came up again during this race, his ex-wife has always sort of said, I made these claims in a heated divorce. I don't stand by them. She's recorded television ads to that effect that have aired during this race and in Brown's prior races. However, I just think accusations like that in the modern Democratic Party and in sort of the era of Me Too don't bode fantastically well for Brown as a but, candidate. But she has... She has backed down from that. Backed down from them. But I don't think that would stop a President Donald Trump mm, oh, or from a modern it. Republican Party from using them. It clearly didn't. Renacy tried to use them during this campaign. It'd be kind of cheeky for Donald Trump to use Yes, it would, like but that. I mean, but, that hasn't stopped him before. Um, <laughs> I know. So I, I think that is a concern that Brown yeah. must be thinking of and that we sort of have to take into account when looking at Jared Brown. All right. Uh, we're still trying to sort it out. Be a while before we see all the final results. Kevin Robillard from HuffPost, HuffPost.com. Thanks, Kevin, so much for coming Great in. Hey, have a great Veterans Day, folks, and come back and see us again tomorrow. This we'll be looking for is you. This the Bill Press Show.